Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am grateful you are here with me this week. This week, we are diving into developing your authentic vision, both for yourself as a leader, as well as your organization. The phrase that comes to mind when I think about this concept of having an authentic vision is, if you don't have a plan or a vision, any path will get you there. And many times we think about people who have been successful and we look at talented people and we look at how they've continued on despite failure after failure or challenge or roadblocks in their way. And I just want to point out a few of those because it's good to be reminded of them. I want to remind you that Walt Disney was fired from a newspaper because he quote unquote lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Oprah Winfrey at the age of 22, was fired from her job as a television reporter because she was unfit for TV. <laughs> I'm sure she's laughing now. Steven Spielberg was rejected from film school, not once, not twice, but three times. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Thomas Edison failed 10,000 times before successfully inventing the light bulb. So these are personal examples of people who were talented and had a vision for the future. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do you develop an authentic vision for yourself, for your leadership, and for your organization? My next guest, Shireen Bazadi, had a vision for herself at 17 and stayed on that vision and implemented that for herself and has become an expert at helping organizations implement their authentic visions as well. She's a board member, she's an advisor, she's a keynote speaker, and she's also the former CEO of Home Franchise Concepts, Think Budget Blinds. And during the last three years of her tenure, she increased revenue 43% to $670 million dollars. She did all of this through having an authentic vision for her organization. So I want to pause before I introduce you to Shireen and ask you, as a leader, do you have an authentic vision for yourself, for your life, and for your organization? And if not, what's getting in the way of that? You might be saying time. And I invite you to think about the time that it would take to sit down And be really intentional about developing your authentic vision and the time you might be wasting in going different directions that aren't aligned to your authentic vision. So I invite you to to take some time to really sit with this. And as you listen to the conversation with Shireen and I, think about one action step that you will take to start thinking about and being intentional and implementing your authentic vision for yourself and for your organization. I'm happy to introduce you to Shireen Bazadi. Let's dive into the conversation. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast 
We'll give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Shereen, I'm so excited for our conversation today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm excited to be here. Can't wait to have a conversation with you. Yes, I've been definitely looking forward to it. So I'm actually going to do something a little different than what I do on the podcast. I'm going to start with the end in mind. Stephen Covey is one of my my favorite people. And so starting with the end in mind, I just want to dive in before we get to introductions and, and a little bit about yourself and your career history. What would you love for my listeners to walk away with today? I want them to know that they can achieve what they set out to achieve, whether or not there will be hurdles in the road, adversity, as long as they stay authentic to what they want. And as long as they stay with what I believe is doing well by doing good, meaning do good work do good by people around you, do good by yourself. I think if you put all of those ingredients together, that it's it's possible that to expect to achieve your vision and it's doable. I, I love this motto. It's on your website. It's in so many of your, your keynotes is doing well by doing good. I would love to hear more about that. Maybe you share that through your story, but you know, please share with my listeners a little bit about yourself and your career journey and this this real core value of yours of of doing well by doing good. Well, thanks for asking that question. And you're right; it may be better explained as it's weaved into how I got here. But I do want to say that I just naturally and organically started saying it. Didn't even realize I'm saying doing well by doing good until somebody who was a a marketing consultant of ours said, Shireen, that's what you say all the time, doing well by doing good. I go, I do. I didn't even realize it. Um, But that is the underlying theme of my life. And it's really a lot of hindsight that helped me land on this idea of doing well by doing good. And by doing good, I don't mean just doing charitable work, which is great not just doing good by people and communities, which is great, but it also means doing good work, doing creating good companies, being a part of a good organization. All of those things feed into doing well. I started my career as a gas station attendant. It was uh, when I was 17 years old. I was a new immigrant without parents, without a lot of money, And I was here, I had to immigrate because of a lot of chaos that happened in Iran. I was born and raised there early on in my life. Really in pursuit of building something better, my parents decided that it made sense for me to leave. And of course, I left behind the loving family, all that I knew to start something new at 17, Uh, really not knowing what I can do. I took on the first job that, or the only job that I thought I qualified for, which was working at a gas station. But even then, Natalie, if you asked me and people did ask me, what do you want to do later on in life? I used to always say, oh, I'm going to run a big company, which is kind (laughs) of funny if you think about it. A 17-year-old immigrant with no money, uh, thinking about they're going to run a big company. I think that's what mobilized me. I do believe that's the reason why I thought I was going to. So if I'm going to, I'm going to go to college, which is what I did. 
I worked full time at a gas station and went to college, started as a math major. But I decided that if I'm going to build that company or be a part of a big organization that I'm going to lead, I need to understand the language of business. And I thought the language of business is accounting and finance. So I switched majors and eventually was lucky enough to be uh, extended an offer by back then the all big accounting, eight accounting firms. And I accepted it with EY, Ernst & Young. Great move, loved it, enjoyed every minute of it. But after a few years of being there, I looked at the career track and I thought, well, if I stay here, I'll become a very good auditor. That's not what I want. Plus, when I looked at people that were like me, specifically women, at the time, the path wasn't that straightforward and didn't seem like there were that many opportunities. And I had the heart of an entrepreneur. So... I left EY to start working for one of our clients. And there I really learned about financial management. Um, I started working in and leading the loan servicing portfolio. It was a bank. When uh, the CFO of the bank was about to leave, he told me that he thought I was a good fit for his role. And I was very pregnant. And I thought, I'm just going to go ask the CEO if I can be the CFO. Everybody said, well, don't do it, Shereen. That's like career suicide. And this is not going to reflect well on you. And I thought, no, I think I'm going to do it. I did. And he gave me the CFO job. So here I was CFO of a fairly good-sized company, uh, a bank with uh, tens of locations. We had, we were originating hundreds of millions of dollars of loans per month and uh, packaging them and selling them in the secondary market. We had a loan servicing portfolio. So all of that was very good experience for me. And then after a few years, we sold the bank to a larger bank. That's where I really learned about negotiating transactions uh, and uh, organizing proper transitions. So at that point, you would think, again, I now have been a CPA with EY, a CFO of a good-sized company, that I would consider taking another CFO job. But again, I had that idea that someday I was going to run a big company. And I thought, no, I, I'm going to uh, really test my entrepreneurial muscles. I uh, set out to be an off-site CFO, which is CFO for hire for companies that were in a growth mode, but didn't weren't of the size to hire someone like me full-time. That is a thing now, but back then mm -hmm. was really not, nobody really was doing it at the time. In doing that, I came across a company that was small. It was in the franchising space. And I thought, gosh, with my experience and background and uh, management and the desire uh, to build something, help build something and strategize, maybe this is where I want to stay. And so I did for the next 20 years. In this journey of the first few years, we really, we were franchising in the home space. And so at the time, franchising in the home space wasn't really well known. It is now. Part of the reason, part of it is because of what we ended up doing. But for the first three or four years, we really hadn't figured out how to grow it exponentially. And so we had a lot of trials and errors and as entrepreneurs do. And we ended up eventually what, um, what we, I call the secret sauce. And from that point on, started really growing pretty rapidly. 
Then uh, the question became, are we really just good at this one concept or are we good at franchising? So to test that hypothesis, we created another company in 2003 or four and an umbrella company called Home Franchise Concepts. Um, the second concept, again, we started from the ground up and continued to grow. About 2013, it was clear that the company had grown past the experience, expertise, know-how, or the desire of some of us. So I set out to find private equity partnership. Took me a couple of years to find just the right fit. And that's when we brought in Trilantic Capital Partners out of New York uh, in 2015. As the condition of that transaction, although everybody else, all of the rest of the C-level was were allowed to leave if they wanted to be bought up and mm-hmm. walk off to the sunset. I was asked to stay on and um, really see the company to its next phase of growth. And that's where we hit the ground running, left no stone unturned. Every which way we went to market from literally the brand voice and um, imagery that some of it was 20 some years old um, to training, to recruitment, as well to all things marketing uh, and technology, we updated, upgraded, created a new technology platform that operated as a CRM sales tool and supply or um, processing, created a, that was a custom uh, program with the idea that we could really build a platform of multiple brands. At the same time, we had bought a category of product before this transaction And so we franchised it and started growing it. So now we had three brands and really updated all of the ways we did marketing, created the platform for local marketing for our franchisees. And end of 2018, we bought another franchise system. So now we have four brands. And in doing all of that, um, while the C-level, I had to fill now the C-level positions and move the organization from what we had done well to really professionally run. And we were able to do that. We um, grew top line and bottom line double digit month over month. We grew our organic sales by 70 some percent in short four years, which is in the world of home improvement is pretty fast. we were able able to deliver really good results across the board. And so when we got closer to 2019, I knew that it was time to help our Trilantic partners exit. This is what private equity does. They were very good, fantastic partners with a very well-functioning board. And so we went through a process and sold the company very successfully. The value that we had created for 20 some years up to 2015 we had better than doubled that in the following four years, short, yeah. short four years. That's incredible. So it was a very successful transaction. And since then, I've been on boards and happy to talk about that. And to go back to the doing well by doing good, the underlying theme in all of that is, one, I had a vision that was very principled and it was very authentic to who I was and where I thought. Um, I could be productive and useful. But at every juncture, whenever things were actually even hard, which were the Great Recession and hurdles of growing when you didn't really know, didn't have a roadmap 
for franchising in the home space and everything else in between, private equity partnership, all of those places. Anytime there was a bit of a challenge, I would just say, Shireen, just do a good job. Just do it well. Do do good. And do good meaning in um, caring for the executives with coworkers, with suppliers, with customers, communities, all of them, um, balancing those decisions off of as well trying to build something that was fundamentally sound. I think doing all of those things under the umbrella of doing well by doing good ended up creating the successes that we all enjoyed at the end. That's incredible. And and I, I've had the privilege of hearing your story from the very beginning um, prior to the podcast. And your your story is so inspiring in so many levels, not only from a personal side, but the professional side as well. Just seeing seeing your success and seeing that you you did start out very early in life with this very solid vision about what you wanted to do. And I'm curious, kind of backing up, we'll, we'll back up a little bit and then we'll move forward. When you think about at 17, having this vision of operating a very large company what what do you think inspired you what you know can you track back to where that vision came from for yourself that's a very good question um i have the luxury of sitting here now so many days so many years later and calling it a vision but i think at the time when i was 17 working at a gas station i didn't wouldn't tell you this is my vision. What it was, was a drive, a hope, an image of something that I could do. Did I think at the time, this is my vision and I'm going to be able to achieve it? I wouldn't say that was that clear. Where it came from was, I believe that I was always thinking of goals that were beyond my day-to-day life. I think it was a way to maybe at times survive very difficult times that, you know, we can all sit back and think of all things that could go wrong in life, but why not expect a better outcome? That's what it was. When I'm a 17 year old immigrant working at a gas station where we had to sit inside bulletproof, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, places. So, because it was in a very rough area that dream, that that vision that I call now an authentic vision was what got me through the tough times. It was a driver and I landed on it. I'm not exactly sure how, Natalie, but that's part of the reason I want to talk about it because if it hasn't yet become a uh, um, understood in somebody's psyche, maybe it is time. Like I said, because you can, life has so many twists and turns. And I think if you really mobilize towards the best possible outcome, you have a much higher chance of getting there. And regardless, it makes going through hurdles and difficulties that much easier. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. And What also is clear from your journey, Shireen, is I love what you said that you've always had the heart of an entrepreneur. And, you know, you you talk about this learning the language of business and 
I think we see a lot of people elevate through a singular functional area within business. So, you know, someone starts out in in finance or accounting and then they move up to C- CFO level eventually, but they don't have the breadth of business experience um, from sales and marketing. And you really did accumulate all of these different functional skills throughout your your career journey. And I, I'm curious to know from your perspective, from someone who has sat in that seat with a broad variety of ex- experiences, and I also know that you also advise on investors, you know, who are startups and and doing venture capital now, what do you think are some of the the biggest um, misses of people who kind of elevate without a breadth of experience? Mm. Um, having a unique specialty uh, expertise is very helpful. I mean, let's face it, I was a CPA, I was an accountant. That's why I just chose to become an accountant. Understanding something fundamentally really, really well and having rich experiences in it makes you useful to an organization. I think um, the best way to create a range around that is to be open and curious and collaborative. I used to always say, if you want to move up in, a, in an organization to the next level. Let's say you are a VP and you want to become a C-level in your own area. Start taking on and acting, not in the way of expecting, but acting in the way of being of service as if you're in that C-position so that people can see you stepping up they can actually place you in your new in where you want to go. And then I think for me, the reason why I was able to therefore learn more about sales, understand operations, is that I stepped in and filled those gaps when needed. And I stepped back when the right person was in place. But now I had the exposure. As an example, in our in our home franchise concepts, we had we have a very robust franchise licensing department, which you have to have in the world of franchising. That's essentially essentially sales. Sure. And so we had someone step out and we had a gap. And I thought, sure, I'll, I'll step in and do this. More work for me, something I would have to learn. I understood it from the point of view of how to financially manage it, but how do you operationally manage it? And I played that role for a couple of years before we groomed the right people to move up to the positions without really expecting um, necessarily uh, pay change or accolades. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think uh, allowing yourself to be curious, to be helpful, to be collaborative gives you the ability to learn about other areas and then also earns you a space, a place that you you think maybe someday you want to step up into. Absolutely. And I, I think that's great advice and, and great guidance. What I have a lot of female listeners. I, I, I do have male listeners as well, but I do have a lot of female listeners to the podcast. And mm-hmm. 
you talked about that there weren't very many women um, at your level in your career journey. And one of the things that I honed in on as you were speaking is around exposure. And I'm curious to know your thoughts about women in the C-suite and exposure from them either advocating for themselves, taking on different roles. Um, I, I think sometimes what I see in my coaching practice is women um, being afraid of advocating for themselves mm-hmm. and being afraid mm-hmm. of more exposure, thinking that they need to go get more certifications or uh, or more tools in their tool belt or I'll wait until I have 100% of the job requirements before I apply for that next role. Um, and they're more focused in on kind of the doing and checking all the boxes instead of uh-huh. kind of forging forward and taking maybe some more risks and, and getting out of their comfort zone and maybe going for those roles prior to them feeling like maybe they're ready for those roles. And I think some of it is structural because they don't see a lot of women in those roles. Um, but I'm curious to get your perspective. I am probably going to say something that may sound anti-intuitive. And that is growing up through the ranks from really an entry-level CPA all the way through CEO. Most places that I was, and it was back then, things are a lot better now. Generally speaking, it was pretty much all men, right? In the world of finance, it was all men. Franchising was very much male-dominated. We were in the home improvement space that's very male-dominated. But I really never paid attention to it. I, maybe the best way of describing how I operated in it is that I, in a strange way, had the blinders on. I didn't care. I didn't care if I'm a woman, if I'm ethnic, if I sound different than anybody else. I didn't care. And the reason why I didn't care is that I just was too busy trying to do good work, trying to, you know, I sometimes say it's it's like a racehorse. When you have racehorses coming out of the gate, do you see how they have the side blinders Mm -hmm. on because they don't want to be distracted by things? I think there's a lot of distraction in life as if there are forces that want to pull you in different ways. And I was just going to do good work and I was going to do good work. But to your point, Natalie, I also didn't shy away from being so, so many months pregnant, walking into a CEO's office saying, I, I can be your CFO <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because I didn't care because I didn't put myself in the shoes of the people that would potentially look at me differently because I was a woman. Uh, when I went in to raise private equity, and by the way, uh, only 3% of private equity backed companies in the United States are run by women. That's like around the gear. And you make that an ethnic woman, it's like, well, forget it. Right. There aren't that many. But it didn't ever, it didn't ever register with me. I was going to represent a well-run company that had lots of opportunity for growth. I knew how to grow it. I knew that I was trustworthy to grow it. Um, I had a vision for where it was going to go. I was going to be a great partner for these people. So why wouldn't they? So I think. 
maybe a part of it. And and by the way, thankfully, there are many more women that now can raise the expectations for the rest of us that have done significant things and they go, oh, gosh, yes, that's doable. So I think there is something about representation. I get it. Me growing up, we didn't have much of it. So we kind of had to sort of create our own. But you're right. The hesitation, there's there's one thing that I would advise my, even myself, as much as I didn't pay attention to what was going on, is even I could have asked for more credit. Even I could have been more uh, forward about my accomplishments because I think it would have shortened my journey to where I ended up. Um, and that definitely is a part of perhaps something we, some of us may um, may have challenges with as women. So the, only, the one thing I do encourage or a couple of things that I do encourage are don't care, don't pay attention to what people say or do. That's in general in life. I always say you can hear people out. You don't have to listen to them. <laughs> I uh, love that. <laughs> but great. I also want to say as women, um, when you do good work, own it, declare it and own it. There's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely. So powerful. And thank you for sharing that because I think that it is really valuable. And I love the racehorse analogy of putting your blinders on and moving forward with your own personal authentic vision. I see many people in my practice, I've been guilty of this too, around, um, I, I call this the farmer and the astronaut around, we just get focused as a farmer of what's in front of us, sowing those seeds, having them harvest. But we don't actually always take time to be the astronaut to really look at our own careers, who we are, the CEO of our own careers, and taking that Mm -hmm. time to look at where do we want to be? What is the big picture? And I think this podcast hopefully is inspiring people to take a look at what their authentic vision is for themselves, for as leaders in their organizations. What is my Mm -hmm. authentic vision for this organization? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's I think it's provocative in a good way around and a good reminder of people of how powerful that is, because while you may have challenges along the way, you may have things that, you know, are roadblocks. Sure. Having that vision is is really powerful. And I'm curious. I agree. Yeah, I'm curious to know. Um, I, I know you're an advisor who also helps companies raise capital so they can bring their authentic visions to life. What advice do you have for them? I, I saw a recent LinkedIn post that you you spoke about a, a, a around this topic, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. I am really interested and uh, passionate about this topic because if you think about it, we hear in the news when when markets go up and when markets go down, people talk about the value of the company and so many multiples and everybody talks about who raised what amount and how. And, um, and I've been asked, how do we find the right capital partners? How do we raise money? How do we create the best value for the company, whether somebody is in the C-suite owner or uh, in the executive on the executive team. So how do we generate the best value for our company? My answer to that is, of course, be prepared, all of the good stuff, but build a good company. 
this is something that in all of the financial engineering and all of the conversations around what kind of what caliber of equity, what percent, what multiples in, in all of those conversations, the underlying theme has to always be build something that's fundamentally sound because it's only through building something that's fundamentally sound that you can demand the highest value for your company. You have confidence in it. You understand where it's going. And as well, when things don't go too well, you still have a sound company that you can run. Sure. So that's that's the first plan. And really where I advise companies, therefore, is to take a really good look at the organization as a whole. Do you have the right infrastructure? Do you have the right... Uh, plans around how to execute your, but most importantly, do you have an authentic vision? And so I don't think uh, the point is that authentic vision is uh, a great concept for an individual. And I can explain it to when it comes to an individual and their career choices. Mm -hmm. When you look at the an organization, the reason why I call it an authentic vision is that a lot of companies have in the past few years have talked about vision. They have vision statements and all of that, which are great. Oftentimes, though, those vision statements are created by a marketing department, by a CEO, and or, and or by a board. So it's oftentimes from top down. What I'm talking about is a collaborative process to better understand the essence of the organization. What are we about? What are, we, what are our products or service? And why would people, organizations, companies, want to buy what we have. And where are we going with all of this? I mean, there are ingredients that I have put together for understanding and really figuring out the authentic vision. But the point of it is that it has to come from the heart of the organization. It has to include many voices. Through collaboration, you come up with what you eventually call the authentic vision or of the organization. And why that matters is that it mobilizes everybody, it moves everybody in the same direction, it gets everybody to row in the same direction with the company. So what all of that does is, one, it creates a direction, and then you have to take a look at whether or not what you have already built is sufficient to get your organization to that. Really do a holistic view of the infrastructure, make corrections to that as necessary and the capital markets, the raise that you're looking for, the valuation that we're looking for will become better, higher as a result. This kind of, again, goes back to doing well by doing good. Remember early on, it says, I said that it also matters doing good work, doing building something good of value. Yes. All of those factors together work well to create an opportunity to bring in the best capital partners to do the most successful raise. That's what I work on. Absolutely. And Shireen, as you're sharing that, talking about this being a collaborative process, this visioning for the organization, who specifically do you feel should be part of that process? I know you talked about it in, in some organizations, you know, being top down, being from the board or the CEO, what is your vision of how it should be done well? Who should be involved in that process? 
By way of example, I can tell you how we came up with it. Sure. Um, after our transaction in 2015, I did what I call a listening tour. Even though we were in the midst of all of this transition and we have new partners and we have to recruit new C-level executives and we have all these performance measures to live by, lots going on. But I thought we need to better understand of all the functional areas of the organization, where we are with from their point of view. So really defining the different areas of the company, it depends on the company, but as an example, you have a marketing department, you have finance, you have sales, you have operations, you may have you know other, maybe you have manufacturing, depending on the setup of the company. You want to find a way to talk to a group within each of these functional areas. And by group, I don't mean just the manager of the group, not just the executive vice president or the C-level that's sitting over it, but uh, some of the stakeholders. And the it's a very um, well-designed and thought out plan so that it's not wasting anybody's time, but it's really to answer the questions of what, what are we selling? Everybody's selling something. What are we selling? You'd be surprised how the answers vary if, if the organization's not well uh, you know, organized or it's not collaborative. And why is anybody interested in what we have? Where are we going? What are our strengths and weaknesses? There are a number of questions that you want to have answered in each of the groups. Um, and eventually, by the way, this collaboration needs to extend to customers, to suppliers, to partners. It's the totality of all of the information that would showcase to you as the leader of, or the team that's the leader of the organization, where you have consistencies, when you have, um, when you have people agreeing on, on uh, these points of view and where gaps live. Sure. So one of the places where, for instance, popped up as a gap, in our case, it was very interesting because there were so many consistencies across our, our organization and with our franchisees, sometimes with customers, but we found gaps with our suppliers. So we had obviously not echoed the same sentiments. They didn't understand the company well enough. And if you don't have suppliers and partners that don't understand the company, they're not going to be as up to speed how to offer the best products for you that would be consistent with the vision and the goal of the company. And of course, we corrected that over time. So uh, the idea is to, again, bring in stakeholders within the organization and outside the organization with a finite number of questions you want to ask so that on the one hand, you can find consistencies and areas of weakness but also that you make it clear that everybody is being heard. When people feel like they're a part of the conversation, even if they don't necessarily agree with where you land, they will be much more likely to be partners in the journey as opposed to adversarial, as opposed to not necessarily wanting to play ball with everybody else. And it just establishes a culture that if you do a good enough job, it's a process, you create the authentic vision, then you strategize around it, and then you bring it back to the, the team. Um, 
they now understand why things are designed the way they are. And once people do, it's magical because then on their on their daily work, when they're dealing with projects, when they're dealing with situations, customers, products, innovation, when they're doing all of that, they will now have the ability to understand why they're doing it. And then they will become so much better at solving for problems that would help the organization move in the right direction. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. And one of the questions I have for you is, so a company comes up with an authentic vision. They're set on, everyone's aligned on what we're selling, what we're doing, how we're operating. And then a global pandemic comes into play. And that can significantly change things. And so what do you say to the leader who's listening, who says, I had an authentic vision for this organization prior to the pandemic, I had to pivot, I had to change things. What happens to the vision at that point? And how do companies mm. hold on to maybe the essence of their vision, but also pivot at the same time? How do they reconcile that? Very good question. One thing that I didn't really explain well is that the a vision is intended to be long-term. It's aspirational. It's where we are going to go. From that, you the organization creates strategies, tactics, projects, performance measures. So it kind of goes, trickles down that way. So when choppy waters are presented, whether it's a pandemic or it's a recession or an inflation or supply chain issue, or with your own individual company, um, something specific to your industry happens. When any of any and all of those things happen, actually having a long-term authentic vision is what you do absolutely need. Yes, your methods, your path to that authentic vision would have to be adjusted. That's the whole point of having a long-term vision. The question will become, since we are going to be X, whatever that authentic vision is. So let me use an example. I, don't quote me on it because I don't have it in front of me, but I believe American Express has a good authentic vision. And one of the fact ingredients, big ingredients in there is their... Um, their idea around providing the best customer service, mm -hmm. right? So let's assume that, that we're an organization whose part of our authentic vision is to provide that best customer experience. That is what we're about. That's how we compete. That's why people would buy our product. That's our differentiator. So when something like a pandemic happens, you're better off bouncing it off of that same question. How do we now provide the best experience for our customers. Their needs have changed. So it is on us to find ways to fill those needs that are more suited to their livelihood and their lives today, because we are all about that customer experience. So it informs decisions. And of course, it's not intended to be where you will land today, it's intended to help guide strategies, tactics, and projects that you take on and the direction that you go into so that you're always true to where you, you need to go as an organization. Perfect. And 
Shereen, I, I think your insight around that really lends itself to the importance of having a, an authentic vision, both for yourself as well as your organization. It becomes the lighthouse and it really guides you through the good times, the sunny days, as well as it guides you through those those foggy nights and, and the turbulent times. Um, and it becomes that beacon to, to guide and to um, clear the path. So... So I, I love that what you shared, and I really appreciate it. Um, I'm curious to know, what what are you most passionate about these days, and, and what's inspiring you? Oh, by the way, when you said beacon, it's so well said. I always visualize it as a beacon, so oh. yeah, right. <laughs> I love that we're aligned in that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what inspires me today is... It's interesting. After I stepped down end of 2019 from the CEO position, it was a, it was kind of unsettling in a lot of ways, because, you know, you're going so fast and you're, um, you're so engaged and involved. And it seems like all of this seems like all of a sudden, although it's not sudden, um, you've slowed down. So what do you do? And it's really a chance to reassess. I was lucky enough to have enough consistency where I had been invited to be on a couple of boards. I had some of, you know, some things that were coming my way. And as you know, we, um, my son created a company and I'm very involved with that. So I had a really exciting startup again to be involved with. But as time passed and having had the chance to really look at what I want to do, what what really works for me. The first thing that really helped me get through that confusion, that confused state was stepping into helping others. So I'm involved with now two charities at a high level in the sense that I'm really on their boards and organizing and helping them grow and using my skills at building companies and being a CEO to help. And I want to say helping others in the form of charitable work turns out to be pretty selfish in a good way because it really helps you. I I believe if you do it right, it really feeds your soul and it feeds you as a person. So that's one passion. That's one thing that inspires me. And I'm going to, I used to always say, I'm going to grow up to do all things charity. So (laughs) I'm glad I'm able to do that. But also as I continue to be engaged with companies, you know, through points that you made as being on board or as advising as companies have found me, CEOs have found me to help them, you know, navigate some of the questions around growth and capital raise and all of that. I realized I really enjoy helping companies grow. I think it's because um, I've always been a builder by nature uh, and it really feeds into that. Plus, I think we it's enjoyable when you're comfortable doing something like we, you've done it before and it feels like, oh, I can I can be helpful here. All of it under the umbrella that I'm really finding myself inspired by the opportunity, the ability to be of service to others, but also to use my years of experience to advise and teach. Sure. 
not like you, not like a coach, because you that's, you're doing some such a fantastic job being a coach. I'm talking more about how to grow up the business. Sure. In that sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love what you said around, first of all, charity serving, really serving ourselves as well, because I think it goes back to the essence of what you said of, you know, doing well by doing good. And I love that you're really living into that. You're role modeling that for for so many. And it's serving you on a deep level. I also want to point out, too, is as you were sharing, when you said you're a builder, I, I think you have a very clear understanding of what your strengths are. And I think so many of us have an opportunity to really pause and to assess what our strengths are and what fills us up and what really inspires us because it's very clear that you're doing that work and by helping others grow is tapping into one of your core strengths you've always been a builder and you've been able to help companies grow very successfully so i am inspired for the companies that you're helping that you're helping to inspire because i know that they are absolutely in good hands uh and so thank you so much for sharing your journey and the importance of having an authentic vision, both personally and as a leader, and the importance of having that for the organization, because I think it is imperative, and you are doing such great work. Um, any last words of wisdom that you have for my listeners before we close out our conversation today? Oh my gosh, you do such a great recap. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. I need to I need to listen to this again. Um, you know, what you said just triggered something, and I wasn't thinking about that. It wasn't at the forefront of my mind, but you know, knowing your strengths is significant. Earlier in this conversation, we talked about some challenges, maybe specifically to women. Much like an organization where you want to keep track of the strengths and the weaknesses, we as individuals would be better off creating an inventory. But I suggest that Maybe consider not worrying about your weaknesses because the world will tell you that very quickly. Oftentimes we lose sight of our strengths. And I think taking the time to create an inventory of what are you good at? What are you good at from your point of view? And maybe have some people that you have confidence in that are there to support and elevate you. Ask them the same. It is only with true understanding of your strengths that you can find a way to build that foundation based on which you can achieve your vision. But I want to say at the end of the day, create something that you want in your mind, the vision of where you want to be and expect it to happen. Mm. I love that. And I think it's such a great way to close out our time together with the expectation of bringing to life your your wildest and most passionate dreams. Because when you have that expectation, you really make it happen. And Shireen, you're such a great example of that. Thank you for the, our time together. I will have your contact information in the show notes. So I highly in, encourage people to connect with you on LinkedIn. You always have great insights and great information that you're sharing. So thank you again for taking the time to be here today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Take care. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one 
thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.